Good afternoon and welcome to this week's EN4 News, I'm David Hogg. On today's programme, Jeremy Corbyn has been suspended from the Labour Party after a watchdog found the party broke the law in its handling of anti-Semitism during his tenure. I will be judged by what I do, not by what I say. We'll explain the new five-tier restriction system set to be introduced on Monday the 2nd of November and we'll be looking to see how parents are lifting the spirits of children who were supposed to go out trick-or-treating this weekend. They come out to play in the dark when they come and they The former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn has been suspended from the party following the Equality and Human Rights Commission report published today which has found unlawful acts of discrimination while the Labour Party was under Jeremy Corbyn's watch. Mr Corbyn had this to say earlier today. No, I'm not surprised by them. I'm accepting the recommendations of the uh, HRC report that's come out today. Our political correspondent Bill Ra has more. Jeremy Corbyn has been suspended from the Labour Party following the Equality and Human Rights Commission report which has found that Labour is responsible for unlawful acts of discrimination and harassment. Formal complaints against Corbyn and over a dozen Labour MPs have led to the decision to remove the party whip from Corbyn. In its report, the watchdog found that the Labour Party is responsible for three breaches of the Equality Act. The Jewish Labour Movement said the failure of the previous leadership had a toxic effect on the Jewish community. The investigation found evidence of 23 instances of inappropriate involvement by Jeremy Corbyn's office. Labour Party leader Keir Starmer insisted... He has been continuously vocal about his disdain for anti-Semitism within the Labour Party. I'm I'm on record for having spoken out on anti-Semitism, as I say, both inside the Shadow Cabinet um, and outside the Shadow Cabinet. I will be judged by what I do, not by what I say. Conservative councillor Cameron Rose explains why the Labour Party needed this independent investigation. It's really interesting that they had their own internal inquiry which was, uh, well, the whitewash wouldn't cover it earlier on. First of all, I think it, it just underlines the importance of having an independent and external inquiry for certain things and for certain organisations. Should yeah. uh, should Jeremy Corbyn be kicked out of the Labour Party? Ah, that's what the Labour Party to decide. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have a dog in that fight. <laughs> um, probably, probably he should be, but... Um, um, Keir Starmer, if he's going to restore the decency to the Labour Party, will have to tread very carefully because he needs to have power to do it. Uh, and there's a very powerful uh, left-wing faction within the Labour Party, uh, group within the Labour Party, uh, and he could tumble. I'm now joined by our political correspondent, Bill Ra, with more on the story. So, Bill, what exactly is in this report? So the EHRC report found that the party is responsible for three breaches of the Equality Act, which includes political interference in anti-Semitism complaints, a failure to provide adequate training to those handling such complaints, and harassment. The investigation also found evidence of 23 different instances of inappropriate involvement by Mr Corbyn's office. So what does this mean for Jeremy Corbyn's future in the Labour Party? Well, Jeremy Corbyn, as you will know, has been suspended today, so it looks like his political career may be over. That was our political correspondent Bill Rather with the latest on the EHRC report into Labour.
In a developing news story, there's been a deadly attack in the southern French city of Nice, which is believed to have been an act of terrorism. We're now joined by our international correspondent, Lindsay Maycock, with more details. Hi, David. According to police, three people have now been confirmed as dead after the knife attack on Thursday morning in the French city of Nice. The attack took place at the heart of the Notre Dame Basilica. Two of the victims died inside the church and a third in a bar facing the church where she had fled to seek refuge after being stabbed several times. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has described the attack as barbaric and the British Home Secretary Priti Patel has said that her thoughts and prayers are with the victims and their families. The mayor of Nice, Christian Estosi, has suggested that the evidence points to this attack being an act of terrorism. It has since emerged that a witness had managed to raise the alarm with a special protection system set up by the city. A witness who lives near the church told the BBC that she heard gunshots and people shouting in the street. The suspect is currently being detained and France's national anti-terror prosecutors have opened a murder inquiry. France's interior minister has advised the public to avoid the area in the centre of the city. Gérald Darmanin has said, this, has said he is in the process of organising a crisis meeting at the Ministry in Paris and President Emmanuel Macron will visit the scene later on Thursday. A minute silence was held in honour of the victims at the National Assembly after the French Prime Minister had detailed new lockdown measures. The French Council of the Muslim Faith has condemned the knife attack and have said they stand in solidarity with those affected. Lindsay Maycock there with the latest on the supposed terror attack in Nice this morning. Scotland is moving forward in its fight against period poverty. Yesterday, a committee at the Scottish Parliament reviewed the Period Product Scotland Bill and accepted all amendments put forth previously. This allows MSP Monica Lennon, who introduced the bill for the first time in 2017, to continue her campaign to make period products free. Our reporter Lena Brosselin has more. Yesterday, the Scottish Parliament passed a financial resolution allowing the Period Product Free Provision Scotland Bill to proceed. The bill, first introduced in 2017 by MSP Monica Lennon, aligns with the politicians' campaign to make period products free in Scotland. The amendments to the bill were reviewed by a committee at the Scottish Parliament and have all been accepted. Now that the bill has completed stage two, ministers are waiting on royal assent to progress to the third and final stage. Before the meeting was adjourned, Cabinet Secretary for Communities and Local Government, Eileen Campbell, assured that even though change takes time, the government is supporting the bill. You know, even while we wait for the Royal Centre for this to, to kick in, the, the provision is already there. We're continuing to support the, the policy intent, so that, that, hopefully that gives reassurance that there's not any, any gap before things become uh, legal. Legislation for improving access to period products is needed more than ever. In 2020, according to Plan International UK's research, almost 30% of girls in the UK have struggled to afford sanitary wear during lockdown. EN4 News talked to Clegg Bamber, one of the three founders of the Red Box Project, a charity tackling period poverty through donations. Bamber does not believe that the fight for period poverty should be a responsibility reserved for women. You never know when you're going to need a a tampon and, and like you know you go to a you go to a toilet you'd expect toilet roll to be there so why wouldn't you expect period products to be there and it might as I say it might not affect me directly being a male but it might affect for example a family member I wouldn't want them to be segregated out just because of a biological function like periods isn't something that's just appeared you know in the 21st century it's happened forever <laughs> 
And yet we still don't seem to, number one, talk about it, and number two, seem to address any issues surrounding it. In January 2020, following the Welsh and Scottish Government initiative, the British Government launched a scheme providing free sanitary products to all schools and universities in England. However, only 40% of institutions have signed up to the scheme. Bamba explains the situation further. There's two angles of this, and both really focus around comms um, and communications, and also in the language used. I think this needs to be addressed as an, an equality issue and not a poverty issue. To mark it as an equality issue, then it looks better to have an equality tick that you're serving rather than that poverty angles. With the last statement from MSP Monica Lennon, Scotland reached another step in its fight against period poverty. I'm pleased that the Cabinet Secretary and I have been able to work together to bring forward amendments to the bill as introduced, which will result in a piece of legislation which meets my original policy intentions. Well, we are all agreed in that end stage two consideration of the bill. Congratulations, Monica. Nicola Sturgeon has introduced a new system that will include five levels of restrictions throughout Scotland. The system will be put in place from Monday the 2nd of November. I'm now joined by our political correspondent Veronica Contopolo to shed further light on these new restrictions and what they mean. So Veronica, does this system differ from what we've seen before? So this new system is designed in a way that will keep schools open in all five levels with hygiene measures and social restrictions increasing as we progress from tier zero to tier four. How does each level progress then? There are lots of rules, so I will try and give you a summary, but please refer to the Scottish Government's website for more precise instructions. Level 0 and Level 1 aim at maintaining a good level of normality as much as possible by only limiting the numbers of people meeting and introducing a late curfew at 10.30pm. Level 2 introduces a ban in visiting other people's homes, with some exceptions of course, such as um, taking care of vulnerable people, and tightens the curfew to 8pm. At level 3, the most common level in the country at the moment, we see hospitality banned from selling alcohol. And finally, level 4 is the closest to last spring's strict lockdown. Staying at home is strongly encouraged and non-essential shops close their doors completely. Only essential work and outdoor work are allowed to continue on site at level 4, with everyone else expected to work from home. So how are the levels decided on and how will people know which level their area belongs to? The indicators determining the allocation of each area's level will look at the number of cases per 100,000 people from a two-week forecast, the positivity rates, so the seven-day average of positive tests in relation to all tests carried out, and the hospital capacity, so how many of the 2,000 hospital beds nationwide are still available. The Scottish Government is also about to roll out a postcode checker system so that people can check which level of restrictions their neighbourhood falls under. So do we know what these restrictions will mean for Christmas? It currently looks like the government is racing against the clock, introducing stricter measures in an attempt to save Christmas. A Christmas that we will hopefully be able to enjoy with at least maybe the closest of our loved ones. Still to come on today's EN4 News, we have the latest guidelines on what you should do should you need a second COVID-19 test. Our reporter Brendan Duggan is looking into how Wisconsin are preparing for the upcoming US presidential elections. And we'll find out how parents are trying to lift the spirits of would-be trick-or-treaters this Halloween. But first, here's Sarah Elbashir with more of today's top stories. Thank you, David. Countries throughout Europe are gearing up for a second wave of lockdowns. France and Germany have announced large increases in coronavirus cases, with Spain and Italy also reporting large spikes. France, who are introducing their lockdown measures tomorrow, 
are closing bars, restaurants and non-essential shops and are advising against non-essential travel. French President Emmanuel Macron had this to say. We're submerged by the sudden acceleration of the epidemic, by a virus that seems to have gathered strength as winter approaches and temperatures fall. Once again, we must have a lot of humility. In Europe, we've all been surprised by the evolution of the virus. The authors of an Imperial College coronavirus study are warning that we are at a critical stage in dealing with the prospect of a second wave of the virus. Analysis from the study also suggests that up to 100,000 people are being infected by COVID-19 per day in England. Housing Secretary Robert Jenrick believes national lockdowns are not the answer. We know that that has some effect on bearing down on the virus, but we also know that it's immensely destructive in other regards to people's lives and livelihoods and to broader health and well-being. So we will do everything that we can to avoid that situation. Authorities in Greece have confirmed that two British teenagers have died and another is in a serious condition following a paragliding accident in Rhodes. The accident happened when a rope holding the parachute snapped as they were being towed by a speedboat off the coast of the Greek island. Authorities have also confirmed that two men have been arrested following the incident and that further investigations are underway. Former executive MP Ross Thompson has been cleared of any wrongdoing following allegations that he groped a former Labour MP, Paul Sweeney. Mr Sweeney accused Mr Thompson of forcing his hand down his trousers and groping him at the Strangers Bar in Westminster back in 2018. However, the Parliamentary Committee for Standards has cleared Mr Thompson after finding the witness statements did not match up to Mr Sweeney's claims. Former leader of the Brexit party, Nigel Farage, made a surprise appearance at a rally supporting US President Donald Trump. Mr Farage, who appeared next to the US President, voiced his support for Mr Trump, saying a vote for him is a vote for decency and plain speaking. He also spoke on the presidential candidate's bravery. They have spent four years trying to delegitimise him. Most human beings under that barrage would have given up. This is the single most resilient and bravest person I have ever met in my life. That's all the main national and international news. Back to you, David. Past COVID-19 patients should not be tested again within a 90-day period of their initial infection unless they develop new symptoms, according to the official government guidelines. But just how many people are aware of this and how does it impact false positive test results in Scotland? Our reporter Amy Flett has more. As people become more aware of the fact that they may have had COVID-19 in the past as testing is so readily available, it is important that people stay informed as to what they should do after their isolation period is over. Many are unaware of the fact that you have to wait 90 days to get retested unless you experience new symptoms, such as 19-year-old student Ailish Barry, who contracted the virus in late September. I did not know about the 90-day period that you couldn't get another test, which was interesting for me because I'd been told vaguely that I can't transmit it after I've just had it, but I didn't know the period in which that lasted or what any of that meant. And what is the procedure for those who do not have symptoms and have possibly been contacted by Track and Trace as a close contact? MSP Jeremy Balfour confirms. If you get contacted, I would self-isolate phone your GP or, or, or phone uh, the appropriate number and take the advice from those individuals. For others, COVID-19 has in fact threatened them more than once. Siobhan McDonald, a 21-year-old student, had the virus back in August and spoke about her confusion when possibly faced with a second isolation period. We had a scare like a couple of weeks ago again. We phoned the advice line about it. And just like queried whether because we'd already had it. The same rules still applied. We shouldn't go and get tested again if we didn't have symptoms. Luckily, in the end, everyone's test came back negative. 
but we were told that um, despite us previously having it, we would still need to isolate if their test came back positive. But why do people have to wait for another test? I spoke to public health expert Professor Linda Bald to find out more. So if somebody's already had a COVID-19 positive test, um, you can be 99% confident they've got the virus. They could be tested again in the future, for example, if they had symptoms again. So there's nothing scientifically to say that people can't be tested twice. There does need to be a time period that elapses for diagnosis between the first and the second test. Because if you were to be tested, for example, twice in the same month, you may still have the virus in your body from the original positive test. So all that would happen is that you might test positive a second time for the same disease, the same trajectory. With people worried about possible reinfection, what are the actual odds of catching the virus again? Professor Bald explains. What I would say about reinfection from coronaviruses generally is that it's really very rare in a short period of time. So we definitely don't know scientifically at the moment how likely reinfection is. And it may be possible, although I'm just speculating here, these cases of reinfection are not genuine reinfection, but they're still the residual virus, um, which we know people can have for quite some time after the first infection. Um, So we're going to need, unfortunately, much more data to be able to say anything confidently about reinfection. If it is not clear whether you can be immune to the virus, can we still gain antibodies? And if so, why is the UK beginning to introduce antibody testing? So we do generate antibodies. Um, Not everybody, I emphasise, but we do generate antibodies who come into contact with the virus. Governments are using antibody testing around the world for one primary purpose at the moment, and that's serology testing. So it's often blood tests. They're using it for surveillance to try and look at how many people in a population might have been infected in the past. We don't have governments using antibody testing, as far as I'm aware yet, to say that somebody has protection against the virus. Because we don't know, the key point to convey about that is that we don't know how long that immunity will last. So how does retesting impact Scottish statistics? Councillor Cameron Rose discusses an unusual incident with a constituent in his Edinburgh ward. There's a nursing home not far from where I am, my ward, Southside Newington, where there is a lady who was certainly over 90 and almost 100, I believe, who was tested on an almost weekly basis for a period of 10 to 12 weeks where she was found in the test to have coronavirus on every occasion. However, she had absolutely no symptoms, no symptoms at all, and perfectly healthy, which raises questions about the accuracy of the test. We have to look at the issue of false positives. They can skew the statistics hugely and and give a result which is not accurate at all. This would suggest that people should be more informed about the 90-day non-testing period unless they experience new symptoms and should seek medical advice if faced with any uncertainty. After a shocking Supreme Court decision this week, some Americans fear that due to the pandemic and political party conflict, the 2020 US election may be the most chaotic in history. Due to the controversy, the state of Wisconsin may have to strike off thousands of mail-in votes. Our reporter Brendan Duggan has more. Over 26 million Americans voted by mail in this year's presidential election. So it is huge news this week that the Supreme Court came to the decision that the state of Wisconsin, which has Democratic nominee Joe Biden ahead of President Donald Trump in the polls, will not be granted an extension to allow for ballots that are received up to six days after the election. This came after the Democrats asked for an extension to ensure that COVID-related delays in delivery and processing of mail ballots would not disenfranchise citizens who cannot vote in person. 
However, the Supreme Court ruled 5-3 against the deadline extension. Therefore, Wisconsin won't count any votes received after the 3rd of November. I spoke to Jason, who lives in Wisconsin, and almost had his vote cast away. I personally voted by mail. And how was that process for you? Wisconsin has some of the more stricter of the voting by mail legislation. And I happened to forget to sign. And the only way that I knew that I had a mistake on my ballot was when I went to go check its status on Wisconsin's voter website. And luckily, they were able to accept it and not invalidate it. Wisconsin is a vital swing state for both parties. Political scientist Dr. Richard Johnson at Queen Mary University in London says that this could be a huge blow to the Democrats if the vote is close. What we know is that, in general, you know, just postal votes get rejected uh, as invalid at a higher rate than in-person voting. But when you've got uh, tens, hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of postal votes being cast in some states, um, it, it, the, the, the rate of rejection, which let's say it's even 2%, um, 1%, 2% in a very tight election, uh, that could make a difference, especially if there's a partisan skew as to who is, who is voting by post. And what we, what we know is, uh, or what it appears to be the case, is that Democrats have been much more likely to vote by post than Republicans, and Republicans have been much more likely to vote uh, in person. And so that means that just statistically, um, Democratic votes are likely to be rejected at a slightly higher rate uh, than uh, Republican votes. To give reason for this decision, Judge Gorshuk, who was nominated by President Trump in 2017, said, quote, Elections must end sometime. A single deadline supplies clear notice and requiring ballots to be in by election day puts all voters on the same footing. Many Democrats also worry about which way the Supreme Court may swing if the election was contested, as President Trump now has a conservative majority in the Supreme Court after he swore in Justice Amy Coney Barrett, a conservative-leaning judge from Louisiana. Political scientist Desmond King believes the courts would swing in President Trump's favour. They have a very firm majority of... um, 6-9, which can become 5-4 if the Chief Justice decides to vote with the more liberal part of it. But the 5-4 is very secure. The 5 or 6 Conservative court justices are pretty wedded to their convictions, so I think they will be willing to act on them. I, I think it'll, it'll favour the President. With the election only five days away, both parties have to hope that their supporters were able to post their mail-in ballots in time or prepare to vote in person on election day. A reporter Brenton Duggan there on Wisconsin's preparations for the upcoming US presidential election. And now it's back over to Sarah El-Bashir for some of today's local stories. Police in Scotland have launched their annual campaign to keep the public safe during the days between Halloween and bonfire night. Operation Crackle will see local police officers out on patrol during the evenings and weekends in an attempt to discourage antisocial behaviour. An Edinburgh local has expressed his support for the operation. I think it's a positive thing that the police are doing in Edinburgh, to be honest. Um, they're keeping our streets safe, you know, especially there's a lot of stress around large crowds and stuff like that. So I think it's really positive. Police Scotland have launched an urgent appeal for the case of a missing 11-year-old boy. Keegan Renton from Port Seton was last seen at around 5.30pm on Wednesday near Port Seton Community Centre. Keegan is described as being around 4 foot 10 inches tall, of slim build and wearing dark clothing. If you have any information regarding Keegan's possible whereabouts, please contact Police Scotland on 101. 
New data shows the number of £1 million streets in the Scottish capital has increased in five years, from only two in 2015 to 22 in 2020, the biggest increase of anywhere in the UK. The most expensive street in Edinburgh is Hill Place, with an average property value of over £1 million. Senior Associate Director of UK Estate Agent Stratton Parker, Andrew Riddle offers an observation on why people are spending more money on property in Edinburgh. When you look at London, for example, you can buy a property in Fulham, a uh, terraced house for 1.3, 1.4 million. And that in Edinburgh gets you a large detached house with a garden and a, and a garage. And therefore, you've got buyers from London who generally throughout the UK and also abroad returning to Edinburgh who see this as a fantastic place to buy. An East Lothian nurse has won an award for her compassion after holding the hands of COVID patients as they died while on placement as a student. Joanna from Hadlington, who has since graduated, took the place of family unable to be present in unwell patients' final moments. She has earned the award of Edinburgh Napier's Simon Pullen Award 2020 for this display of kindness. And that's all your local news. Back to you, David. And now with today's sporting news, here's Alex Grant. Scotland are looking to close out their Rugby Six Nations campaign with three wins for the third time in five years when they face Wales on Saturday. But to do this, they will have to end a losing run against their national neighbours that stretches back to 2002. In football, Rangers and Celtic are preparing for more Europa League action tonight. Steven Gerrard's men will face Polish side Lech Poznan at Ibrox, hoping to make it two wins from two. Celtic, meanwhile, without a win in their last three games, face a tricky match against French side Lille, with manager Neil Lennon strongly denying any suggestion that his job is on the line. You hear all these rumours, and that's what happens when you go through a little spell, all the conspiracy theory comes out about fallouts, dressing room breakups, all that nonsense. And that's what it is, it's just fake news. It sounds like Donald Trump now, but it's just all fake news. Elsewhere, St Mirren has become the first Scottish club to appoint COVID-19 safety officers in an attempt to tackle repeated outbreaks of the virus. Our reporter, Jake Gray, has more. It has now been 19 days since St Mirren Football Club last took to the field in a competitive football match. This is due to a coronavirus outbreak at the Paisley Club. They have now moved to combat the virus by appointing two new members to their non-playing staff. The Buddies chairman, Tony Fitzpatrick, has moved to employ ex-Scottish Police Federation chairman, Brian Doherty, as a safeguarding and quality manager, as well as risk management professional, Kevin Pollock. Pollock has been employed to review the Paisley Club's internal processes and implement any necessary improvements. Sportwriter at the Scottish Daily Mail, Rob Robertson, believes these appointments are vital for the club. If it happened at any great stage again, the, the, the SFA, the Scottish Premiership, would definitely have every right to actually take points away from them because they would get silly. But to be fair, because they've appointed Brian Doherty and Dr Kevin Pollock, I'd like to think that is the end of it, St Mirren. That was our reporter, Jake Gray, speaking to the Daily Mail's Rob Robertson. Back to you, David. And finally, Halloween is just around the corner and it's time to get spooked. Normally, the streets would be filled with dressed-up children on the hunt for sweets. But alas, this year will be different. Here to tell us more about how people are lifting spirits this Halloween, here's our reporter, Rebecca Axerup, complete with some fabulous spooky sounds. Yes, it's that time of year again. Pumpkins, spooky ghosts and trick and treating. Usually this time of year is a chance for the wee ones to get dressed up 
head outside and enjoy some extra sweets. But this year, like everything else in 2020, it will be slightly different. So how are people celebrating Halloween this year? I caught up with mom of two, Gail Bucky, about her and her family's plans for Halloween. I'm kind of unsure what we're going to do because, I, I mean, normally, especially in Davidson, Mains, where we stay in Edinburgh, Halloween's pretty big. There's one road that completely normally is like where all the geysers go and uh, obviously that's not going to happen this year. How are your kids feeling? I mean, are they sad that it won't be the same? Um, yeah, my daughter really likes Halloween. Um, I think it's I think it's more to do with like the American culture um, coming in on this side, um, like especially with like YouTube and things like that. And um, so she does like the idea of like trick or treating, and I'm like, it's guising, love. You're Scottish. <laughs> Despite the challenges, Gail hopes that Halloween 2020 will still be a fun weekend. I also caught up with three-year-old Roman and his mom Joss about what they liked the most about the holiday. What's your favourite thing about Halloween? Sweeties! Oh, sweeties. Do you like eating all the sweeties? Yeah! Despite Roman's love for sweets and scary skeletons, this Halloween will be different. Are you sad you can't go guys in? You can't go round to people's doors and knock on the door and put your... You sing your song. You won't be able to do that, will you? Why can you not do that? Because of the... Coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But what impact will the lack of celebrations have on children this year? I asked clinical psychologist Emma Citrin about her thoughts on Halloween 2020. So I don't think it really touches on this as a difficult time for people because they can't celebrate Halloween. But I think we have to be creative, don't we? We have to um, find ways of making it fun for the kids. This year, Halloween is all about getting creative and finding new ways to celebrate. So wherever you are, I hope that you have a good and spooky Halloween. And who knows? You might even see a ghost this weekend. You'll need to be on the lookout for Roman's description of a ghost. And when do they come out? When do the ghosts come out to play? They come out to play in the dark when they come in the... And now for the traffic and weather. With much of the eastern half of the country being hit by heavy rain and the Met Office issuing an amber weather warning, ScotRail have decided to cancel all trains from 7pm tonight. And in terms of traffic, expect it to be busy this afternoon around Ferry Road, Drum Street, Gilmerton Road, Willowbury Road, London Road, Jocks Lodge and St John's Road. That's all from us here at EN4 News. I've been David Hogg. Enjoy the rest of your evening.